Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist. A confidence boost before your interview? Or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday? There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network. My name is Hal Kos, a host here at New Books in Poetry. Um, today I'm really excited to be speaking to poet Lavinia Singer about her wonderful debut collection, Artifice, from Prototype Press in the UK. Uh, Lavinia is the author of the pamphlet Ornaments, a handbook from 2020, and co-editor of Try to Be Better from 2019, a creative critical engagement with the work of W.S. Graham. Her poetry has been uh, awarded numerous prizes and was shortlisted for the White Review Poetry Prize. Um, Artifice, this new collection, um, is concerned with things made, paintings, woodcuts, waxworks, mats, buildings, fireworks, and above all, obviously, poems as workshops for and houses for new language. It asks if and how words can be put to work, with what artfulness and to what ends. Uh, and I'm really excited to be talking about it today with Lavinia. Hi, Lavinia. Thank you for joining us. Uh, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I, I love that expression as poems, as workshops for language. Yeah, that's such a lovely idea. <laughs> Great. Um, the first question we usually start with, with most of our guests is just if you could explain a little bit how you came to write and keep writing poetry and then maybe this, this collection in, in particular, how it came together. Great. Um, yeah, so I think I've always um, enjoyed writing and also making things. Um, um, but it was at university that I really discovered that it was poetry above everything else in literature. Because we had to just, we had to study kind of very specific time periods. Um, but within that, we had freedom to choose who we looked at. And I just, without realizing, I kept choosing poets, <laughs> and then realized, aha, it's like, that kind of focus and attention to words and really digging deep into the mind of the page um, and my love of studying languages, um, it kind of all came together. So that was really a key time. And that's when I kind of did as much as possible um, to explore my writing and editing and, you know, as much as I could about kind of poetry um, and yeah. And so kind of since then, really, I've been trying to balance, you know, how to keep writing with earning a living and finding like a, a writing 
working rhythm, um, which I think any writer would appreciate. Um, and it's, to be honest, something I, you know, still continuing balancing. Um, but yeah, I think it's just something that everyone has to kind of go through to, to find what works for them personally. Did you find that, um, that um, the relationship with, say, rhythm and kind of work changed as you were putting the collection together? I mean, I'm, I, I'm also curious about kind of how uh, far apart some of these pieces um, <laughs> were, or like, yeah, what the process was in, in putting it together as a collection. Yeah, good point. Yeah, because, I mean, so this is my first collection, so it involves poems written over a long span. So I think that the oldest one is um, The Mapmaker's Daughter, and mm-hmm. that's about kind of 15 years old. Um, and, yeah, I think my relationship with writing and, and also publishing has changed a lot since then. Um, you know, at university, it was mainly like quite a traditional canon. So then there was kind of excitement to try and widen my reading and immerse myself more in contemporary writers and poets um and um when I came to London I joined a kind of a writing group um with Roddy Lumsden and then started further study um kind of an MA and then doctoral research um with Fiona Sampson and Jeff Hilson and was kind of meeting other poets and experimenting with my own poems um so that kind of definitely changed over the span of like what I thought a poem was and could be and um, and worrying less about what others were doing as I just kind of realized all the styles and modes and potential. Um, and then I think also what really made a difference to me was I'd been very aware of, you know, getting published, you know, when I was at uni and that was kind of the thought, oh, I want to make a book. But then that really changed dramatically kind of the more I learned about the publishing industry and like the different kinds of publishing opportunities, the delight in working with smaller presses. Um, So um, for example, I had a chance to create a pamphlet with, um, uh, it was actually a collaboration with Sam Rivier's If a Leaf Falls Press and Ollie Tong's Glyphs Press, um, which was really lovely. And then with Prototype Press, um, first on an anthology, and then this collection. So I think the whole thing was kind of over that span, just really thinking more holistically about my creative practice and um, and also being more interested in, like, the process rather than the product as well. And just, um, yeah, that, that really interested me. Right, and is the, the question of kind of working with smaller presses or small presses, is that really to do with an element of freedom or care or attention that you find working in that environment affords you and the work? Yeah, I mean, um, not to sound like a total control freak, (laughs) but I think there's a wonderful way of like, um, yeah, you can just be so involved in all aspects. And obviously with, um, with this collection, it's very kind of visually and typographically kind of, um, sensitive and I really liked that um working with so my editor um Jess Chandler and she had a kind of freelance um designer Magnus um of Studio Foss Magnus and of Studio Foss um and basically that team being so small and me being involved in every aspect it was just a lot of fun and it meant that so much care and attention when I mean I, there couldn't have been more care and attention and coming up with the cover and um, being really patient with like different proofs and kind of 
really annoying typesetting requests from me of like, you know, layout on the page. Um, and I mean, I don't, yeah, my sense is that, um, yeah, with kind of obviously that maybe larger, larger publishing houses, you know, there just isn't the time or um, that, yeah, there's um, other concerns that mean you don't necessarily get back control. Um, you might be more distanced from it. So, um, so for me, that was just a real joy and felt so important um, to have, you know, an editor who I just adored and really trusted and then to just be part of that making of a book, which, um, which, yeah, was just a lot of fun. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm very grateful um, to be, to be working with Prototype. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe we'll come onto this a bit later also, but just because you mentioned it, you know, it, it really is uh, visually kind of the laying of the, the, the pages and things is extremely precise and kind of important, no? Um, could you just kind of talk a bit, a bit about that side of the work also? Because, um, I mean, a lot of the poems do kind of, uh, let's say, depart from or dig into um, some aspect of kind of visual culture. No, they're not necessarily just descriptions of visual artifacts, but they're, they're very interested in the visual. And um, I was wondering if you could talk about that being a part of your, your practice also. Yes, certainly, yeah. Um, well, I just, um, as a person, I think I'm very visually dominant. So I love, you know, the visual arts and that's really what kind of interests and inspires me. So for me, a visit to a museum or kind of seeing um, things that, you know, in a book or um, that really excites me and, that initial encounter might then lead to, you know, further research and kind of reading and it kind of really excites the mind and kind of ideas might bubble away um, to then follow different directions. So certainly that's what in inspires me. And then and then the actual um, putting it on a page, yeah, it's, um, it's almost, yeah, I kind of, um, I mean, it was interesting when putting the book together we sort kind of noticed that some poems almost the way that they present, we almost thought we might want to put them in a separate section as if they were kind of objects in an art gallery or something to kind of um, suggest a different kind of reading experience because um, it's, it's less a kind of um, narrative, you know, flow of lines um, following a kind of, um, you know, more lyric kind of expression, um, but being more fragmented or distance on the page or, um, or I have a lot of these block poems, which, um, which even when we were typesetting, we thought, you know, maybe making the part title pages block, you know, kind of formation and things. Um, I hadn't recognized how many there were until, until others, yeah, that kind of putting it into a book form kind of made me realize, um, and almost like little canvases or, um, and so that also made me think about the encounter that a reader would have and whether we wanted to signal that, um, you know, there was a kind of different experience to be had with approaching those kind of works. Um, in the end, we didn't do that. We did other kind of organizations of the material, but it was, it was very interesting to me to think about this is how my, my brain had to kind of processed my visual experiences ah, now what might another person um, with this, you know, to kind of present less of a challenge or something off-putting, you know, to kind of um, coax them in as one would if you were in a gallery or a museum or 
perhaps listening to music or um, you, you wouldn't have that kind of um, that obstacle really um, and, and just to kind of um, let the encounter happen um, in a more kind of natural and easy way. Great. Yeah, and I can see how, you know, the, the kind of block or canvas poems, you know, kind of crop up across the collection. And then most of the other poems, for me, that it kind of all rests on a continuum maybe between the, the, the those block poems and, and poems which are a bit more centred around, say, a voice or um, the, the question of voice or lyric, as you said, in some way. Um, should we read a poem? Maybe um, uh, the very first one, which is one of these kind of block uh, prosy poems. Um, yeah, work study, right? Yes, great. No, good idea to start things off at the beginning. Yeah. Great, work study. The work takes her to Amsterdam, LA and Seoul. Or else it's work in the studio with the old toilet bowls stuffed with soil and seedlings, cold light streaks each morning, the school playground crashing up next door a recurrent cat. It's true she works most days, the routine becoming normality, just work. This, her office, her desk. Here's the most recent, what she's been working on for weeks now, months, existing before it's itself, bleeding paint. So how does it work? I mean, physicalities, substance shift, where daily work turns to more than just that. The brush pots, clippings, tinted tea mugs and dead colour worked into wall creases, packages marked sold, stacked by catalogues webbed in dust, out of, I'd almost call it, junk. The whole works. It is made. The work. Great, thank you. Um, I mean, maybe I should just say, since this is a podcast, that for me it's important that the poem begins with the work and ends with the work, but the, 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 the ending, the final um, word work is capitalized with a capital W, you know, and the poem kind of sets up a lot of what then the the rest is the first poem in the collection, and the collection goes on to think about what we mean by language as sort of working in some way or making something. Um, uh, that lovely line that's um, existing before it's itself. So there's also this idea of um, trying to sort of catch some act of creation or maybe language in process, you no, know, before it's kind of kind of frozen or, or, or static. Um, do you want to say a little bit about um, this, this poem or this first section and, and, and how, how you put it together? Yeah, sure. Um, so this, this poem, actually, the immediate kind of impetus was a visit to the studio of the contemporary Scottish artist Caroline Walker. Um, he's got wonderful paintings. Do check them out. Um, <laughs> so the poem actually includes real details of her studio, you know, the very... Um, strange striking visual um images in there um like the old toilet bowls <laughs> and and there was the school playground next door and I was thinking goodness that would be um irritating <laughs> um so yeah so in that sense it's her work study um but I was also interested in the study of a work um you know being created seeing the activity of a maker in their environment the mixture of like the drudgery and the effort and the mess, um, as well as the commercial pressure, you know, um, um, certainly for artists as well, um, perhaps even more than poets. Um, so, yeah, so that was um, kind of where it started from. Um, and then I was thinking 
um, about what makes a work. And you're right, that key shift from a work to the work. And um, I was kind of reading Walter Benjamin, specifically the the work of art in, in the age of mechanical reproduction and his idea of the aura that a work of art has, its, its uniqueness, um, having, you know, the work of art being, you know, present in time and space gives it this artistic authenticity, which then in an age of, you know, mechanical reproduction or capitalist society, um, what then happens when you get it produced again and again and again and again and, um, and that distance from the initial making so other, other poems in this section look into that as well, um, the idea of reproduction. So the next one, Annunciation, which kind of looks at etching. Um, we've got woodcuts, um, again, which disseminates that work of art across the globe. Um, and then, you know, paintings, of course. Um, so um, there's, the, you know, portrait painting and how that, you know, connects with the, the, the real, um, the original um, so yeah so for me that's where it kind of started from um and then yeah I mean you can almost play a drinking game with the amount of time work appears in the in the poem and you know mining you know using that word in different ways um what it means to work a work work (laughs) um so yeah um so that's how that poem took shape and then as mentioned that whole first section um there are kind of four sections with with um, kind of ep- epigraphs or kind of part titles, um, and this first one is called "A Thing Made," and it is all about the poems in there, looking about how um, works of art or um, poems or uh, uh, kind of objects are created, and that process and the link between um, object and maker. So that's kind of what links. Um, the poems in the first section. Wonderful, yeah. And also, I should say, one thing I noted is just how sort of, I want to say, intensely sort of close to the materiality of the of the of the kind of visual pieces that they're in some ways describing these these poems are. So they're not really. I mean, there's a few uh, kind of entrances of of let's say um, an eye speaking, but on the whole, they're just uh, they're they're extremely kind of. Um, uh, close up almost no to the kind of materiality of the of the objects they're describing um and there's something also about the 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 vocabulary that you kind of draw on no the sort of this lexis of of, of making and of various different techniques of, of of painting of printing of woodcutting um yeah i guess that's something that comes out from research and from visiting these 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 pieces and reflecting on them you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, such an interest for me is um, um, is yeah not only kind of yeah uh, visual arts but yeah the different processes. I mean, maybe with writing we have um, you might have handwritten or on a laptop um, or dictaphone or um, but I love the whole experience of. the tactility and the you know the body involved and um using a different part of your brain I mean I love creating art as well so it's it's kind of a different expression of creativity I suppose and I love the idea that something can be quite um 
manually difficult or um, mundane, <laughs> um, repetitive, or um, it, it's just um, a very, for me, just thinking about the difference of, you know, the materials involved as well, um, what language, how one manipulates language on a page, but then the very physical materials um, using one's hand and eye in a different way. So um, I find it fascinating. So I think these poems were all, um, I guess, me pursuing what I love to learn more about, basically. So they were explorations, as, as you say, um, kind of being interested in something and wanting to learn more about it. And, um, and I guess, yeah, it's interesting that poetry is a way of um, channeling my interest, I guess, in things. Um, yeah, maybe it's easier than, than trying to create sculpture in my home or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... It's a it's it's it's, it's a cop out. It's an easier way to, <laughs> to <laughs> exactly. You don't have the talent. You can um, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> use them. <yeah. laughs> um, shall we? I wanted to talk about a poem that's in the that's in the second section. Actually, if we move ahead um, to the section that's called baseless baseless fabric, um, and the poem is called the missing tablet. And I just noted it really because in the notes you mentioned that it was a collaboration. So I'm wondering if we could um, read this one too, and then and then chat about it. Great. Yeah, sure. Um, so it starts with an epigraph that's um, taken from um, what's called the Emergency Red List of Iraqi Cultural Objects at Risk, um, which was kind of set up. Um, at the time of, uh, to kind of, um, um, it was kind of a tool to kind of, that people could kind of recognize artifacts that were being looted from, you know, archeological sites or stolen in illegal, um, kind of illegally trafficked. Um, so there was this list set up of things that you might look out for, um, to kind of just be more, um, aware of, you know, their provenance. Um, so that's the first bit. So the missing tablet. The fight against illicit trafficking in cultural goods requires the use of practical tools disseminating information, raising public awareness, and preventing illegal exportation. Emergency Red List of Iraqi Cultural Objects at Risk. First category, writing, clay or stone tablets. Cultural object 16180, Sumerian tablet from Uma. Condition, lower corner broken, cracked middle, seal impressions. Inscriptions, obverse, administrative text, temple accounts. Reverse, nature of text, uncertain. The Amorite who knows no grain, who knows no house nor town. The boar of the mountains, high as the height of cedars, who digs up truffles but does not bend his knees to cultivate the land, who eats raw meat, who is not buried after death. Three days' journey by boat in the garments of cowherds, he made a black palace among those people in the city of a million soldiers. Riches in royal measure remain with him there. 
I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Thanks. Um, and so this this came out of um, a collaboration with another poet. Is that right? Were you were you working on it uh, uh, in, in in a pair? I think. Um, yes. Yeah. It was. Um, so it was for an event organised by um, S. J. Fowler, who's um, a kind of amazingly generous and indefatigable poet and avant-garde writer and artist who sets up um, a lot of events um, throughout the year and this one was called um, the Poetry School Camarade and I was paired with John Clegg who um, is a fantastic poet um, published by Carcanet um, and he's also a bookseller at the London Review Bookshop Um, and anyway yeah it was wonderful we had a very intriguing email correspondence Um, we both kind of well, I think we met first and then, yeah, I went to email and, um, you know, John sent a letter that he'd allegedly found in his copy of um, the catalogue of Sumerian tablets in the John Rylands library and kind of created a narrative about, you know, what this letter was and who it was for. And from there, that sent me on kind of a treasure hunt to look through the British library records of Sumerian tablets um, and shared my own kind of response to him and, so it was very kind of, you know, using different um, modes, you know, kind of letters and materials, drafts of poems. Um, and I also was, it was at the time of the destruction of the ancient city of Palmyra by ISIS in 2017. Um, and that's where the epigraph came um, from, just thinking about these kind of, yeah, um, that impulse towards like categorizing or archiving and um, things that resist that or become lost or destroyed. Um, and then, yeah, I ha- and then for the performance itself, um, we didn't share any of the prompts or process. I think we just, um, you know, recited the poem. And then I think when I was looking back, um, you know, when I, I asked John for permission to include the poem um, in the collection and, and I guess it was the best kind of collaboration because I've actually forgotten, you know, whose bit of the text was whose. And um, 
it definitely became one thing having had um, this different input. And I have to say it was a wonderful experience because um, generally and um, for me personally, I'd always been a very solitary writer and it's very kind of private and something I would just want to do on my own. And these kind of experiences I've since had um, of working with other poets um, is it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's a very different kind of working, but it, um, you know, whoever it is, yeah, it just, um, it completely, yeah, excites the mind in a different way. And um, I found it very, yeah, inspiring and rich and really enjoyed the process and the performing as well and being up <laughs> with someone else on the stage and, um sharing that experience together it's something that feels very special and um i'm i'm yeah i'm i really appreciated the opportunity to do it great it's interesting that you say you know about the solitariness because i was thinking as you were talking that actually you know so many of these poems here as we've said uh, about the first section in particular are in dialogue with some kind of visual reference or um kind of intertextual no another 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 writer or uh, even kind of using collage from other texts but i guess that's not um strictly speaking collaboration with a living poet who's next you know but they they all seem really really open to kind of um to to talking back in a way at, at other other artworks that are out there and that seems to be part of what the the collection is interested in as a whole no that's a nice yeah that's a lovely way yeah <laughs> of yeah definitely yeah in dialogue with um yes certainly um and I suppose that's where one gets you know it's finding where one gets one's um inspiration from or you know what the material for one's poems and for me it usually is often it starts with something outside of myself and um, thinking about, or certainly for this book, at least, and what I recognised in the poems, um, of these poems that came together, that was kind of what was linking them all, was um, often some other created artefact um, that I responded to. How did the arrangement into the sections work? Because I'm assuming from what you said that it wasn't necessarily chronological, but you kind of um, I mean, I have, you know, it seems to me that there is a kind of way of thinking about how the book is structured across these sections, but I'm curious as to how you remember that process being when you were putting it together. Yes, um, I mean, I loved the idea of having quite a structured, artificially seeming, you know, kind of very um, crafted curated structure. Yeah, 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 curated. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, that felt quite fitting. Um and then I think it was um, when I was going through, I did a lot of kind of, I was, I'm very yeah, interested in etymologies and I love the Oxford English Dictionary. And, um, and I think when I was first thinking about artifice as the title, which came quite early on when I was thinking about putting things together, I don't know how, how I stumbled on that word, but it, um, it then just was stuck and that was kind of very helpful. And I as you know, um, in my notebooks and things, I, I, I find reading through kind of etymologies or um, uh, um, the meanings of different words quite stimulating. Or um, I have an Oxford book of quotations, you know, which I love, which has different uses of words in different contexts. 
And anyway, so, so I, I had some of these, um, which actually now each of those four parts, um, so the, the, they each take a kind of a different kind of quote, um, a kind of section of a quote. So a thing made, baseless fabric, letters fair and mystic art all of those um, come from longer quotes, which are kind of thinking about art and artifice. And, um, and, and for me, um, I mean, one wouldn't need to know this, but um, they follow, yeah, it's more content-wise, yeah, rather than chronology or anything like that. Um, so a thing made is, as I mentioned, the kind of creation of a work of art and that process um, baseless fabric is more about loss and impermanence, um, um, and letters fair looks more into language and um, how that kind of creates ideas or images and um, or confuses and complicates. Mm. And mystic art is when it steps more into kind of the mystical, supernatural, that which um, remains ineffable or indescribable. Um, and yeah, a few of the poems could yeah certainly overlap into ca- different categories and things. And um, but that for me was very helpful as kind of a building block. I should say there's also a kind of a strange sequence that um, sits outside of those four right, blocks yeah. um, <laughs> called the plot, which is its own thing entirely. But um, but yeah, um, so that's that's kind of how how it all came together and, and was very helpful for me in, in choosing which poems to include and which to omit. Maybe we could read one from the third section, the, the very beginning of the third section, which is small talk. Also, because it felt to me it was helpful to hear you kind of pass through the collection in that way just then, because this one, this poem, I think is, is kind of halfway through the collection and it does sort of signal a turn. And that is to do with, I think, paying attention, for me anyway, to to the question of voice, really, um, and subjectivity in language, no, because... Um, as we'll hear in a sec, it kind of starts really quite strongly with this with this idea of self, which is which is kind of more subdued or or entirely kind of put aside in the in the first two sections. So um, yeah, I'd love it if you could read small talk for us. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, small talk. My life is a reducing act, all of it. The less that is known, the more assuredly held the convictions each conversation a paraphrase. We meet to summarize the time between meetings, chit-chat. Stop thinking, start talking. What's your mantra? Shut up. Moot intention, polished surface. A voice sounds phony if inconsistent or entirely consistent, just saying. It's easier to cut and paste, cut and paste, Select an automatic response, tweet, say I never mean what I say I mean whatever, substitute with pronouns, you, I, who will take my place. Wordlessness is not the same as silence, for crying out loud doesn't mean I'm said. Great, thank you. And yeah, and so then this section does kind of investigate uh, the idea of voice and so works along kind of questions of erasure and, 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 and things like that. I was wondering, do you, um, just because of that first line, really, my life is a reducing act, all of it, um, 
when you're drafting is is reduction do you think of reduction as a big part of kind of your your process or practice is it something that you do or work with to get to the poems mm. yeah it's um yeah I mean I think here um in the poem it was kind of thinking about reduction in a kind of a negative sense I like the kind of the inevitable lessening as one moves away from the experience you know as one attempts to put it into words to try and communicate to another or trying to represent and kind of you know failure in a way um and there are more about the dangers of reduction that come up later in the plot um that kind of sequence which um looks into kind of allegory and oversimplification and kind of the harm that might be done through kind of reduction and tropes and stereotypes um but I guess for me, um, I'm, I'm really interested in um, imagism um, and that idea of how to create in language, you know, kind of concrete images or, um, you know, um, kind of um, in kind of Ezra Pound when he kind of gives a few kind of his kind of man, kind of rules, you know, for an imagist, a few don'ts by an imagist. It's um, he kind of talks about using no superfluous word Um go in fear of abstractions and and I love that idea of kind of presenting an intellectual and emotional complex in an instant of time um he talks about which I am fascinated by you know it's kind of how I guess it comes back to how can you create this something closer to an image a work of art a, a, a complex um in language through language um is that possible um does language just get in the way um so I think that's what I've been interested in and in trying to be like, if you can't express an, an encounter or an experience, is there a way to kind of offer it in some other way, giving an opportunity to a reader to come and um, by reducing, you might actually be opening up the space for a reader to kind of meet you there and join in, join in the dialogue. Um, that's something that W.S. Graham was very interested in who um, uh, yeah, I spent um, some time with looking at, at his work, and um, that really interested me too. So, so yeah, and I also find that language, you know, and that's why I could never write a novel <laughs> because it's so rich and there's so much. And I find that just having on the page, you know, there's I could yeah, there's just each word can can offer so much and. Um, I think one doesn't need, you know, less is more often, or at least certainly for me in my practice, that's why I don't have very many long poems at the moment. Um, that'll be a good future project for me. But um, I, yeah, I just find that it's already, it, you know, each word is so resonant that, um, that yeah, um, reduction, I mean, if anything, it's it's kind of, Perhaps um, if you if you can really if you do it if if one you know follows the imagists or if one does it very well I guess it's almost crystallizing or offering a kind of real kind of jewel or something it kind of a bit more like kind of alchemy where you might transmute or transform to to kind of create something really um, yeah in, inspiring and um, generous for a reader I suppose. Yeah, and just have a really, really clear idea of kind of limit. No, um, 
you know, as a poet, as someone who knows when to stop writing, you know, kind of <laughs> this is arriving at something and then and then holding back, um, uh, which I think really shines through in 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 the collection. Um, maybe just before we finish, we could read the very uh, no, it's not the very last, the penultimate poem, um, which is called True Artifice, which, if I'm not mistaken, is a kind of collage. No, it's entirely made of uh, made up of citations and kind of scraps of other texts. Yeah, um, so it's kind of like a title poem. Um, and yeah, I was thinking about artifice and ex- trying to explore the book's kind of main themes and conflicts and ambiguities, because there are a lot of those, um, and how to express them, you know, kind of truthfully. Um, but yet it all came, as you said, it's um, it's a cento. It's kind of all made from phrases stolen from other works. It's um, in as kind of artificial a, a form as possible because it's a sonnet, um, but kind of concatenating. So the beginning and end of each, the kind of end of each line becomes the beginning sound of the next line. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's kind of an attempt to actually, you know, really express what I be- believe in or I'm trying to explore or... Um, some of the key ideas and yet it couldn't be further from my own voice <laughs> so yeah I guess enacting that conflict so yeah this is called um, True Artifice Entrancing it is to wonder harmony in blue and gold golden ornament like the literary game symbols of love love of freedom dislodges minds unmakes many worlds worlds created from words. We have talked long enough, naive reflections. To marvel is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge, an opportunity for us, increases unreality. Unrealizable ideals may yet make change imaginable. Imagined alternatives out of chaos frame a thing of beauty. Beauty is difficult Unlike the telling of beautiful, untrue things, things that don't exist, a good island, mystery's holy guardian, garden of bright images, our perfection, man-made dream, dreams like a diadem. For a few bright moments to be reborn, resolutely artificial, enigmatical, through art. To what end? End up as a book or work neither begins nor ends pretend great thank you so much maybe uh, if i could just finish by asking if you're working on anything in particular or if you know something about um yeah where you'd like to be to be heading with your with your writing in the future Well, um, well, from this interview, I now know I need to try some long poems. <laughs> but no, um, at, at the moment, I'm yeah, I'm enjoying, I'm really enjoying actually focusing on artifice and having a book. I mean, it, it has been a lifetime dream um, to create a book, which is not just one made out of paper at home, like I used to do as a child. <laughs> um, so that's a very nice place to be. Um, I'm working on at the moment with a lovely um, Italian um, writer Leonardo Guzzo um, we're working on kind of a, translating some of them into Italian which again I, I'm really enjoying because I, I, I love languages um, so yeah so that's um, yeah at the moment um, the current project um, so um, no it's all 
yeah, we'll, we'll see what emerges over, over the time ahead. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today and for reading the poems. It's been, it's been really great to meet you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Hal. I'm, it's been wonderful to have someone read and give such thought and attention to the poems. Um, I, I can't appreciate it enough. So thank you so much, so much. Thank you. Thanks, Lavinia. Um, it's a beautiful collection. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.